The prophet situation in the New Testament church is so interesting to me. That's the office to which I'm called, one of the offices. God took me to the Bible to teach me what I would be doing. He took me first to the Old Testament and showed me all of the examples of all the prophets in the Old Testament. Then he took me to the New Testament to show me that there are prophets working in the New Testament church. First of all, we have the scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. When did the New Testament church begin? It began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus arose, it says he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Ephesians 4. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I was visiting in Clovis, Mexico a few years ago. My dad's half-brother's wife attended a Baptist church, and she had gotten one of her Baptist friends, and we were having coffee together. They were speaking of their church, and one of the women said to me, we have a woman at our church that thinks she's always against what the pastor is doing. He's building a new church building right now, and she's just so negative about it. Out of my mouth, without any thought came, maybe she's a prophet. That conversation was not continued past that point. I had not thought of that at all. It came out of my mouth. I think it was the Holy Spirit speaking through me. Maybe she's a prophet. Prophets, I'm convinced, are just everywhere. I don't think it's an unusual thing at all to have prophets around. We think of prophets like Elijah and Elisha, who were very prominent in the Old Testament. But also, there were other prophets in the Old Testament, and they just kind of wandered around together. Usually, they were together when they traveled. And you don't read anything about what they did, but we know Elisha kept meeting up with them. When he would go from city to city, they would say concerning Elijah, don't you know your your master's going to be leaving today? And Elisha would say, yes, I know. He'd go to another place and they'd say, your master's going to be leaving today. And Elisha would say, yes, I know. So these other prophets just kind of seemed to be there. I'm sure they delivered messages of warning, messages of correction, because that's what prophets do. They are sent to the church, not to the world. They are sent to the church to bring messages to the individuals who are the church or even to the whole congregation. A woman in our church group was just very angry at a pastor. She had gone to this pastor. She's a divorced woman. She had taken her fiancé to this pastor to see if they could remarry, if she could remarry. 
And when she talked to the pastor, he said, well, I don't see anything wrong with remarrying. My sister's divorced and remarried. So she married this man. Years later, she saw in the Bible that by doing this, she committed adultery. A scripture reference is Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. So she was very upset with this pastor, whom she had felt should have warned her, and she was telling me about this. The Holy Spirit said to me, but wasn't she already having sex with Edward at the time they went to this pastor? And I said to her, but weren't you already having sex with Edward at the time you went to this pastor? She grew very quiet, and then she said, yes. Here she's gone to a pastor to see if she will commit adultery if she marries this man after being a divorced woman, but she's already having sex with him, committing fornication. It's all a moot point. Now, what that should have done for her is to help her to get over her anger against this pastor. Granted, the pastor should have known the Bible. I have found that most pastors don't know much Bible. I have also found that most pastors are antichrist. They add to the Bible whatever they want to say, or they take away from the Bible whatever seems good to them. And they have no sorrow at all when, you, when I talk to them and point out that they have added to the Bible or taken away from the Bible. I've never seen one of them yet that had any grief over what he had done. Not one. And that reminds me so much of Antichrist because we read in the book of Revelation that Antichrist, uh, the people who are Antichrist people, they uh, don't repent. Even when the plagues are on them, they just curse God. But they don't repent over the wrongdoing that they've done. And that's what I've seen in these pastors. When they add and take away, add to the Bible and take away from the Bible, I've gone to many of them with what they have said, and not one of them has ever repented. They're Antichrist. But anyway, when I said this to that woman, God had given me a word of knowledge. Wasn't she already committing adultery or having fornication, having sex with this man at the time she went to that pastor? That was a word of knowledge. I had no way of knowing that. But God knows everything. And frequently God will show us what's really going on with the person. And we tell the person, giving them an opportunity to repent. Often they just get mad at us. So I've seen that lots of times. There are times the entire church group gets mad at us. And certainly times the pastors get mad at prophets. But this is what prophets do. They go to the church to carry messages from God to the church. And usually they are messages the prophet doesn't have any way of knowing the thing. 
except through God. Very often they're operating in the spiritual gifts, word of wisdom and word of knowledge, which you will find in 1 Corinthians 12 under the listings of the spiritual gifts. So are there apostles and prophets today in the New Testament church? Why would you think there aren't? Because your church tells you there aren't apostles, prophets? What does Ephesians 4 verses 8 through 12 say? When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why would they want to get rid of apostles' prophets? Well, one of the things apostles do is work through church doctrine. They're saying, oh, it's okay for you to remarry. God loves you and wants you to be happy. So, of course, a divorced woman can remarry. An apostle is not going to say that. An apostle is going to bring you several scriptures on the subject, each scripture confirming the direction given by the other scripture. And what the scriptures say is, if that divorced woman remarries, she shall be called an adulteress. And what the scripture says is in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, a commandment of God is this, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. So apostles bring doctrine which is from the Bible to establish the church. Oftentimes the church has already omitted these doctrines in order to please the people and have big numbers of people coming to their church. So they don't want the doctrine from the Bible presented, for they've already chosen the way they're going, and the congregation's going along with them. These are Antichrist churches. They're everywhere today. Now, why wouldn't they want prophets? Prophets speak as oracles of God and bring messages to the church. One woman came to me a few months ago by email. She told me one problem after another that was going on in her life. She went back to childhood even to some kind of uh, Catholic nun. She'd been in the Catholic church. Something she'd done to her Catholic nun. I just skimmed over her email because God showed me immediately what her problem was. Then at the end of her email, she said, could you teach uh, a teaching on forgiveness? Well, yes, I could, but that's not the message that God wanted her to have. Her, the message to her was she's failing to take each problem to God in prayer and allowing him to establish her. So she was thinking she needed to forgive these people when in reality, what she needed had been had not been doing is taking all of her problems to God in prayer, and she'd let all these problems pile up on her, 
and then she dumped them on me. But the solution is not that. The solution is live every second, taking your concerns to God, Philippians 4, 6. So I delivered to her what she needed. That's what prophets will do. I went to speak one time to a little church group in San Angelo, Texas. After I spoke, the pastor told anyone who needed prayer to come to the front. I was shocked. There were so many people who came forth for prayer. Then the pastor wanted me to pray for them. I walked up to this one woman, and all of a sudden on me it was just, I said to her, and what is it you want from God? She said to me, I just want more of God. I said to her, now God will tell me what you're doing. She jumped up out of her chair, waved her arms in the air, and screamed, oh no, Lord, don't tell her. Well, the room just broke up in laughter. I don't remember us praying for anyone after that. Very often, the real truth that comes from God is not the truth you were looking for when you're dealing with a prophet. It's something totally different. In 1982, God said to me over and over, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. All morning I heard that word. I didn't know what it meant until a few days later when God showed me sins that were being committed by some of the big-time ministers, preachers. I tried to get the message to the preacher by sending him a letter, but the office staff intercepted the letter, and threw it away. So, I had the idea, I'll just speak it on my own radio broadcast, which go from co went from coast to coast at that period of time. I had seen a place in the Bible where the Apostle Paul named someone by name to the congregation to warn them about this person. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Beware of him, for he greatly withstood our words. So I knew that was a sanction from God to speak the name of that minister on radio and name him by name and tell what he was doing that was wrong, which I began to do. When that happened, the ministers definitely got the messages. One minister owned two of the radio stations that I was on, and they stopped me immediately, turning and putting me off the radio. I arrived at Seattle Center, Seattle, Washington, to do a meeting for the radio audiences. Outside the door of the meeting room, I saw the radio station manager standing there, and he was usually very friendly to me. But this time he was very somber. And he said to me, Joan, you just have so many wonderful messages. Just speak those good messages. See, he's judging immediately that the judgment messages are bad messages. But they're not bad messages. They're from God. God loves judgment. 
But the station manager, in his own heart, is judging that the message I'm speaking is a bad message. Whereas I have many good messages, such as taking thoughts captive, uh, dealing with destructive thoughts, following God by His Spirit. So he says, just speak those messages. Instantly, the Holy Spirit rose up in me to say, George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message and I may as well be put off the air. You just stop and think about this. He wants me to speak another message, but that's not the message God wants me to speak. A prophet has to speak the message that God wants spoken at that exact moment. In 1980, when I first went on radio, primarily the message I was speaking was the subject of taking thoughts captive, dealing with destructive thoughts, following God, righteousness, prosperity, good success through following the Spirit of God, doing the Scriptures. That was the message. What's the message today? That's not the message today. The message today is Antichrist had to come before Jesus could return. Before the second coming of Jesus, Antichrist had to move into the churches. The thing keeping Antichrist out of the churches, the restraint was Scripture. As soon as the churches fell away from specific scriptures, they opened the door for Antichrist to move in. Therefore, Antichrist is in the churches today, and the stage is set so that Jesus can return. That's the message today. It's already happened. The second thing to look for is the powers of heaven will be shaken before Jesus returns. The sun will go dark. The moon will go dark. The stars will stop shining. When you see that, you can know that Jesus is coming next. And you can also know you're at the threshold of the great tribulation. Perhaps you have heard at your church that God takes the church out before the great tribulation. But if you will look at Luke 21, you are going to see that the first thing that happens are the signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. And then Jesus comes after the powers of heaven have been shaken. The church is not taken out until after the earth has been shaken. And even then, there are going to be some of the elect in, on the earth in the days of the Great Tribulation because Jesus said during the Great Tribulation, if the time were not shortened, even the elect would not be saved. So we know there are going to be some of the elect left on the church during the Great Tribulation. Now, why would part of the church be taken out and some left? Peter said in 
Second Peter chapter 3 to be diligent that you'd be found of him when Jesus returns in peace without spot and blameless. If we are troubled about anything, we're not in peace. And if the only way to live in peace is to settle the matter with God through prayer, to let God judge the situation, to let him bring the correct answer, his view of the situation, and then you can live in peace. A great many of the elect of God are attending churches where they know something's wrong. They know the doctrine's wrong, and yet they're staying at that church. I don't believe those people will be taken out if Jesus comes while they're still staying in a place where they know something's wrong. I don't believe they will be taken out. I think they will be left here to go through the Great Tribulation. Whereas the ones who've already paid the sacrifice, paid the price of leaving a church group because something is being taught there that is wrong, and they're living in peace without spot and blameless, I believe they will be taken out. But not all of the elect will be taken out. Some are going to be on this earth for the Great Tribulation. You can read that in uh, Luke 21. Also in Matthew 24. Because Jesus says, it'll be so bad that even the elect would not be saved unless the time is shortened. But for the elect's sake, the time of the Great Tribulation would be shortened so that they could be saved. Look at Luke 21, please. Start at verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. I would think that would mean volcanoes, earthquakes. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, says Jesus. Luke 21 starting at verse 26. Then in verse 27, Jesus says, And then, after the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So, when that sky turns dark in the middle of the day or in the afternoon when it should be shining, when that sky turns dark, when that moon turns dark, everybody on the earth will know it at the same time. It's all going to happen at the same moment. The powers of heaven will be shaken. I had a dream about this many years ago. The earth slipped on its axis. People were terrified. The governments of men were meeting together and meeting with the scientists and meeting with religious leaders to try to see what they could do to stop this and to correct it because the earth shifted on its axis. A newsman on television was trying to give a report, but he was so frightened he couldn't even continue his 
report. He just stopped speaking and then got up and left the studio. We've never seen anything happen like that. The closest we've ever seen to something happening like that was in a time when an earthquake hit and a man was giving a news report. And he was so terrified that he could hardly speak. Most of the time, these newsmen just see, they put on a sad face, but they go out to dinner. They don't really care. It doesn't affect them. But when this happens, it affects everyone living on this, on this earth. Everyone's affected. In Luke 21, starting at verse 33, Jesus explains, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Take heed to yourselves, at lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. That's overindulgence. Too much going on in your life. You're too tired. You've just got too much going on. You're not being wise in the division of your time. You're thinking, oh, I can get one more stop made before I go home. I have time to get two more stops made. That's surfeiting, overindulgence, and drunkenness and cares of this life. Cares of this life. They Cares come, troubles come. But you have to take each one of them and say, well, what do you want me to do about this? I went out one day to start my car and the battery wouldn't start and it was five o'clock at the time when my mechanic would be going home. I said to God, how do I handle this? And he showed me, just go in and call, call your mechanic. Well, the mechanic was getting ready to leave for home, but my house was in his path and he just said, I'll stop and take care of it. So he did. Then there wasn't a problem. So you see, it's that turning to God in prayer when the problem hits. There are problems all the time. My computer stopped working the other day. So it was a problem to me. Well, I had to get a new computer. Which kind to get? You have to ask God all of these questions. Please guide me into the exact one I need. God did not call to my memory the name of the one that I was to buy. I had to try out several computers before I found the one that was right for me. I have had times when God told me the exact radio station to go on. In 1980, January 10th, and the night I was asleep, and a very loud trumpet-like voice blew three words into my ear, causing me to jump out of bed. It was Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I quickly wrote down KWJS, thinking it must be radio or television. Turned out it was radio. God gave me the exact radio station that I was to start radio broadcasts on. The exact one. Within a year, I was on radio from Hartford to Seattle, all the way across the United States. But I started with radio station KWJS. 
So sometimes God will give you the exact information, and sometimes you are simply guided by the Holy Spirit from one thing to another until you touch upon the solution for your situation. Either way, you're going to win out because it is God guiding you. So Jesus says in verse 34 of Luke 21, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, overindulgence, and drunkenness, and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare it shall come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore. What do we watch? Watch ourselves, how we're living. Watch our own lives, what we schedule through the day, how tired we get. Watch. Watch what you're doing. Whether you put yourself with people who are going to speak things that cause you to lose faith, that cause you to go in a direction that is opposite from the way God has shown you to go. For they're all around once God tells you to go a certain way, don't be surprised but what people come and try to convince you not to do that. And you have to hold fast to that word God has given you. Watch what you're doing. Then the second thing Jesus says is pray always. The prayer connects us to God. When you have a problem and you turn to God in faith and you ask him for help, and you believe he will help you. When you do that, you're connecting with God each time you pray. And you wait until you have the answer from God before you go out and do anything. If you live that way, guess what? You're accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come on to pass. Because you're connecting with God constantly by faith. And that makes you worthy. We are saved by the blood of Jesus, but we are made worthy continually by correcting ourselves as we follow God and by praying over our problems and connecting with God continually through prayer. So many people who say they are Christians fail to pray about the problems. What they do is they run to a flesh and blood human to tell their troubles to. And they even ask that human what the human thinks they should do. That's just the wrong way to go. The human might be your friend. The human might be very intelligent. But that human might not know the future. God does. Plus, when you dump all your troubles on another person, you're kind of making that person God. Now, it's totally different to simply tell your friend, I'm working through this problem. I have a problem. I'm working through it by praying. But to just go and dump the problem on the human, you're sinning. You should be taking it to God in prayer. 
Now, reading once again, verse 36, where Jesus says, Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. I had a Baptist woman tell me this one time on that scripture. She said, we have to pray always that we will be counted worthy to escape. No, that's not right. We pray always about what's going on at that time. And because we pray, that causes us to be accounted worthy to escape. It's not a matter that you're sitting there today saying, oh God, please, please count me worthy to escape. That's not what this scripture means. It means that you're praying always to God. And because you're doing that, you are accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I have seen very, very long-time Christians fail to do this scripture. I, it's amazing how it can slip away from you. It's just amazing for us when we stop and think, I can't even remember if I prayed about that problem. I don't know why it is, but we do slip on this subject of prayer. I think each one of us likely slip on it. And from time to time, we jump out and do something, and then we can't remember if we prayed about it. When we can't remember if we prayed about it, it's most likely that we did not pray about it. For if we've sincerely, if we've sat down and prayed about it, and God brings us an idea of the solution, then we are able to say, this is what God showed me to do. But if it's just something you jumped up and did, you can't say that. So usually we can tell whether we prayed or not. By that. One reason that pastors and church people often don't like prophets is because you can't control a prophet. Bob Tilton, who happened to be pastor at the church I attended for a few years in Dallas, Bob Tilton invited a woman from his church to be on his TV talk show. She was said to be a prophet. After the talk show, she called me. She was in tears. And she said, just before they went on camera, Bob said to her, Just one thing, Ava. Don't say anything about being a prophet because it's not popular. That's killing a prophet. I was furious when I heard what Bob had done. I sent Bob a message saying, because you've done this, your house is going to be left to you desolate. 
That came to pass a few years later. He and his wife divorced. He remarried, committing adultery against the first wife. The second wife was said to be an evangelist and a lawyer, and she ended up suing Bob, and they divorced, and he went out and married a third time. He had a church in Farmer's Branch, Texas, which he had built from scratch, and it seated 8,000 people, high-tech stuff. He could do his radio and television broadcast inside that church building. That building was totally destroyed, leveled to the ground, and Bob went off to Florida to try to start another church. But he never rose to the prominence that he once had. There was a time that Bob was taking in $80 million a year by asking people to send prayer requests. ABC Primetime Live did an expose on him. And what they found is he was telling the people, send your prayer request to me at Farmer's Branch, Texas, Word of Faith, Farmer's Branch, Texas. But when the prayer request arrived at Farmer's Branch, Texas, they were automatically forwarded to a bank in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were people assigned, tellers assigned, just to that one church. They were taking in so much money. And they were assigned to open the envelopes, throw the prayer request in the garbage, and deposit the money. This aired on national television, ABC Primetime Live. You can read about it if you care to do so on Wikipedia, internet, uh, the Internet Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, under Robert Tilton. It tells the whole story. Anyway, as a result of this broadcast on ABC Primetime Live, his offerings changed from $80 million a year to $2 million a year, which is still an extremely large sum of money. Bob ended up buying a hotel in Culver City, California. A newsman went to their so-called church meeting. He reported it was only about six people sitting at a conference table in one of the meeting rooms at the hotel. And when they found out that he was a news reporter, they ushered him out of the meeting room, which was supposed to have been the church service, and told him not to come back. And that's the last report I have concerning Robert Tilton. This is what these ministers so often do, is things that are incredibly bad. It brings in a lot of money and a lot of people if you withhold a message. One time I attended a museum dinner at Texas Tech University when I lived in Lubbock, Texas. I got to the the dinner. It was they had round tables set up in this big banquet room. It was assigned seating. When I got to my assigned table, 
I was seated next to a man who was wearing the largest cross around his neck I've ever seen. It was a wooden cross. It had to have been at least eight inches tall. I've never seen anything that big. I knew immediately I was in trouble. I sat down, and this man began to talk immediately, and he introduced himself as the former pastor at Indiana Street Baptist Church. Then he began to say, oh, we have such a problem at the church. And the people at the table looked up, and he had their attention when, he, when they said, he said that. They wanted to know what the problem was at the church. He said, we have built onto our church three times, and we still do not have enough seats to seat everybody who's trying to come to our church meeting. I said to the man, well, if you will teach what Jesus says in the Bible, in Matthew 5, 32, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery, about half of those people will get up and leave you and you'll have no trouble seating the pe people. His mouth fell open. He was shocked. I got up and left. I was not going to stay at a place where I had to sit by this man. Prophets encounter serious problems in the churches. When I lived in Clovis, New Mexico, USA, I went there to live where my mother lived because my dad had died and I thought she might need help and I could make radio broadcasts from any place in the United States or any place. So it didn't matter where I lived, and I thought, well, that might be good if I moved to Clovis, New Mexico. I was hunting a church to attend. There was a church there called Potter's House. I talked to the pastor about attending the church, and it was decided that I would come on Sunday, not, not to speak, just like a human being goes to church. I went out and bought a dress that would be appropriate to wear to church. On Friday, I got a call, a phone call from that pastor. And he said, you know that thing about you're coming to our church? And I said, yes. He said, I've decided I don't want you to come to our church. And I said, okay. And I, he hung up the phone. A few days after that, some teenage girls came to my door. They had pamphlets in their hand. They were obviously wanting something. And they were inviting people in my neighborhood to come to Potter's House, their church. They handed me the material on Potter's House and invited me to come to church. And I said to them, your pastor told me he did not want me to come to his church. They were shocked. They didn't say another word. They just turned and walked away and walked down my driveway. At the time I was born again in 1975, I owned a business in Dallas, Texas, a small business, American Indian Arts Business. I was born again on August 
1975, God said to me, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. I said, sins? I thought they were mistakes. At that moment, I was born again. I was taken into heaven twice in the night as I slept. In heaven, I was with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and at that time, I was merged into the body of Jesus. A few nights later, the exact same thing happened again. I believe I was ordained into the two offices that I am assigned by Jesus, which is Apostle Prophet. I was made one with Jesus, with the Word of God, at the time I was taken into heaven. The Word of God is very important to me. It's more important than any human. It's more important than any activity. It's more important to me than anything in the world. And often I've had to leave churches because they taught something other than the Word of God. And when I talked to the pastor about it, at first he would say, this happened to me two times. At first the pastor said, I can't remember where that passage is. And then both pastors separately said, all right, it's not in the Bible. They were angry with me. They did not repent. That's Antichrist. Antichrist does not repent in the book of Revelation. All the plagues came, they blasphemed God, but they did not repent. They didn't say they were sorry for what they had done. And I have found, I've never found a pastor say he's sorry when I have gone to him and asked him about something he taught to the church. He's admitted it's not in the Bible. But he's always been angry. And he does not repent. It concerned me for years. I thought, well, I don't understand what's going on. In approximately 2016, God showed me that this is Antichrist in the churches. The churches have taught that Antichrist was coming through the governments of men. But Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2 that he sits in the temple of God showing himself to be God. They're through the churches. And that had to happen before Jesus returns. And after I learned that, I understood why I had been going through all of these problems in trying to find a church that I could attend. For 40 years, I had not found one. If you don't see a problem in your church... It may be that you just don't know enough scripture because I have found that almost immediately the pastor says something that's contrary to the word of God. I went to a little non-denominational church in Clovis, New Mexico when I was hunting a place to go. The pastor was teaching and on a Sunday morning he said, Sarah and Hagar were half-sisters. I'd never heard that before. I'd never read that in the Bible. I went home and read all the passages in Genesis about Sarah and Hagar, and I could not find at all where there was anything about them being half-sisters. 
So I called the pastor and told him I'd been in his service the previous morning when he said Sarah and Hagar are half-sisters. And I said to him, I can't find that in the Bible. Where is that? Pastor got real quiet. And then he said to me, I, I can't remember where it is in the Bible. And then I said to him, it's so important to me to know. Would you please find it and tell your secretary where it is and have her call me and tell me? He went dead silent for a few seconds, and then he said, All right, it's not in the Bible. He didn't say, Oh, I'm so sorry. That's not in the Bible. He didn't repent. He showed no grief or sorrow over what he had done. That's what I found with the other pastor who was also teaching things that weren't in the Bible. I've gone to many, many, many pastors and evangelists and preachers with things that they've taught that are wrong. They know they're wrong, but they just scream out at me in anger. And there's no repentance. And God showed me that's Antichrist in the churches. Antichrist isn't one man. I can prove that to you. If you will look at 1 John chapter 2. Verse 18. John says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrist, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from among us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. They were in the churches in John's time. But when they could not get control of the church group, they left that church group. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul spoke to the elders at Ephesus. And he said, I know you won't see my face anymore. This is the last time you will see me. But he told them to beware because he says, even among yourselves, there are men who are waiting to take over, to speak perverse things that they might draw away disciples after themselves. Even in the time of the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul, these Antichrist people were in the churches. And there were many Antichrist. But after I was born again and attended church, that's the first time I ever heard of Antichrist. And the women were speaking about Antichrist. And one of them said, we think Antichrist is Henry Kissinger. I was reading the book War and Peace and Napoleon about Napoleon in Russia. Tolstoy said the Russian people thought Antichrist was Napoleon. I've heard people say they thought John F. Kennedy was Antichrist. And no doubt some think the current president of the United States is Antichrist.
But Antichrist does not come through governments of men. Antichrist comes through the churches. Let's prove that with Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 3, Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come except there come a falling away first. The falling away, that wasn't people living, leaving churches. The falling away are churches leaving Scripture and changing doctrine. And they do it to change to a doctrine that will be more reasonable to people of the world and be more popular to try to lure more people to come to church. So they withhold such things as Matthew 5.32 where Jesus says, Whosoever marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. The man who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. That would be totally unreasonable today to the people in the United States. And it's not spoken at churches. I've never heard it spoken at any church I've ever attended. And the pastors perform these ceremonies between divorced people at the churches I've attended. And the singles classes are set up to help people Men find women and men find women find men that they can marry. And many of the women are divorced women who attend the singles class. They're hunting for a husband. And that's what goes on today. So Antichrist comes and is revealed to us by not following doctrines of the Bible by speaking things contrary to what the Bible says, by adding things to the Bible. That's Antichrist. And it says, Paul says, He opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is in the churches. Well, it had to happen before Jesus could return. That has happened, so we know the stage is set where Jesus can return. The next thing that will happen is the shaking of the heavens and the earth. The sun will turn dark. The moon will not give its light. The stars in heaven will not give its life. Luke 21. So we know just exactly where we are today, we're somewhere between the falling away and the shaking of the heavens and the earth. We're in a gap right now between those two things. How do we live? Peter told us in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Seeing ye look for all these things, be diligent that you will be found of him, found by Jesus upon his return, in peace, without spot, and blameless. And to be in peace, it requires constant prayer when you're troubled. 
Thank you for allowing me to speak this message to you today.